We are continuing in our series, Grace in Parenting, with the subject, Prayer in Parenting, from 1 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, and in this session, uh, we are thinking really about building on God's provision for parenting. And as we thought about God's provision for parenting last, we looked at how God gives direction to us to help us raise our children. He's the one that provides the wisdom that we need. He is the builder as we raise our children. He is the protector as we raise our children. And he gives power, love, and a sound mind to us as we try to carry out our responsibility. And then he gives us peace along the way in a very challenging assignment that we have. We look now in this session at the importance of prayer in parenting. And I want to open as I get started with a prayer from Amy Carmichael, who was a Christian missionary in India who opened an orphanage and also founded a mission. Uh, she served in India for an incredible 55 years without any kind of furlough. She ultimately wrote 35 books. She never had any biological children of her own, but was known as Amma, which meant mommy to hundreds of children who were delivered to the fellowship that she ran and uh, were raised there. And she prayed this prayer. Father, hear us. We are praying. Hear the words our hearts are saying. We are praying for our children. Keep them from the powers of evil, from the secret hidden peril, from the whirlpool that would pull them, from the treacherous quicksand to pluck them, from the worldlings hollow gladness from the sting of faithless sadness. Holy Father, save our children. Through life's troubled waters, steer them. Through life's bitter battle, cheer them. Father, Father, be thou near them. Read the language of our longing. Read the wordless pleading thronging. Holy Father, for our children, and wherever they may bide, lead them home at even, even tide. Our text is 1 Samuel chapter 1. I want to introduce it. We're going to read some of the verses as we get a little bit further into it. Uh, but uh, I want to introduce it first of all. So if you want to follow along, you know the story. Uh, there was a man named Elkanah who was the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu. And this man had two wives. Now, a little explanation here. Uh, polygamy was a significant issue in the ancient world. Uh, the Bible never puts it in a favorable light, but there is always strife and conflict that is noted anytime there is a departure from what God's original plan was. Hannah was childless. Penina, uh, who had children, was the other wife, and there was an intense competitive relationship between the two. Elkanah went up from his city to bring sacrifices to the tabernacle uh, and the priest, which at the time were at Shiloh. The two sons of Eli that we referenced in what not to do as parents, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord, and they were there. And as we recognized in the last session, these men were notoriously wicked. Uh, Elkanah sacrificed anyway, knowing that the wickedness of the priest did not nullify his own service to the Lord. 
he had a ceremonial meal at the tabernacle uh, with his family, was giving portions to them. And the scripture says that Hannah was loved and she received a double portion. But she wept and did not eat. The reason that she wept and did not eat is that the Lord had closed her womb. And beyond her trial, there was a purpose from God. God was going to use this experience to carry out his plan, even though it was difficult to understand his ways, and even though it brought um, many challenging feelings and emotions to her as a result of it. Elkanah asked her why she was weeping. Um, He could not see that she had needs that he could not fulfill in the desire to be a mother. And she, in her bitterness of soul and anguish, went to the Lord honestly in prayer, in a transparent presentation of herself before the Lord in prayer. And we're going to pick up and we're going to read uh, first verses 8 through 14. And I want you to see the importance of dedicating your children to God in prayer. Dedicate your children to God in prayer. I begin reading here in verse 8. And he said, Hannah, why are you crying? Her husband Elkanah would ask, Why won't you eat? Why are you troubled? Am I not better to you than ten sons? And on one occasion, Hannah got up after they ate and drank at Shiloh. The priest Eli was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. Deeply hurt, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of armies, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forget me and give your servant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and his hair will never be cut. While she continued praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, and though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine. Hannah begins here by calling out to the Lord of hosts, or the Lord of of armies. This title is used repeatedly in the Old Testament. In fact, this particular designation of God appears something like 250 or 260 different times. And what it points to is the Lord as the one who is the warrior, the Lord who is the one who has all power. And she, in the circumstance that she was in, was feeling attacked. So in feeling attacked, she went to the Lord and appealed to the Lord in her situation. Hannah made a vow, and she promised uh, her son to the work of the Lord. And what she made here was a Nazarite vow. It was a Nazarite vow that would be made from birth. And she said, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor will come upon his head. Now, this whole idea of the Nazarite vow in the Scripture is an interesting one. Uh, According to number six, the vow of the Nazarite included some specific things for the life of the one or the ones who were given it or who took it. Uh, They were to abstain from any product from a grapevine, uh, signifying that they were distant from any uh, earthly pleasures, uh, any fleshly pleasures might be a better way to say it. Uh, They were to take no part in mourning for the dead, nor to come near a dead body, because the dead show the corruption and the fruit of sin. And also this showed that they had greater concern than the ordinary sorrows of life. Never cutting the hair 
uh, was to be a public visible sign to others um, of the vow. And typically the vow of a Nazarite was taken uh, for a set or for a shorter period of time. So we have the examples of both Samuel and Samson, um, and they were unique because these vows were taken from their birth. And Hannah said, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. The child was already dedicated to the Lord for the entirety of his life. And she committed to that, which is significant because it's a deep consecration. And it was even a deeper consecration than what was to be made in the vow of a Levite. Because the vow of a Levite uh, would be a dedication only from the age of 30 to the age of 50. But here she's saying, I'm going to give him over to the Lord uh, for the entirety of his life. Now, while we might not be making the vow of a Nazarite or the vow of a Levite or some other specific religious vow to the Lord, a prayer of dedication is based on recognizing that God has given your child to you and God has entrusted that child to you for their care and for their upbringing. So when we are dedicating our children to the Lord in prayer, we're saying to the Lord, Lord, we recognize this life would not even be, would not even be in existence had you not given this life to us. And we want this child to be dedicated to you and we're prayerfully submitting that child to the Lord. Now, obviously, we have some outward uh, signs of that dedication that we practice symbolically in the Baptist church, at least, uh, not meaning that there's some particular super spiritual effect of it or that there's any grace conferred by a formal dedication or any of the stuff that goes along with that. But it's very simply parents saying, I'm here presenting myself first to the Lord. And then because I'm presenting myself to the Lord first in our home, we're presenting this child to the Lord, and we're going to commit that we're going to raise this child in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And that child ultimately belongs to God, and you want to dedicate him in a way that honors the gift that God has given to you of them in your life and God's particular design for their lives. And one of the most important decisions that Christian parents can make is to dedicate their children at an early age. And throughout the Bible, we find that God intended for the children of his people to serve him. He wanted them to serve uh, him from their early days, uh, through their uh, adolescent years, all the way to adulthood. Genesis 18 and verse 19 says, for I know Abraham will commend or command his children and his household after him, and they will keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. In Exodus 13 and verse 2, God demanded the firstborn of every woman to be dedicated to him. Later, he gave other laws and rituals in regards to children. And you remember even when Mary and Joseph brought the baby Jesus uh, to the temple at eight days old to dedicate him, uh, they were obeying some of those laws and they were recognizing uh, what God had commanded them to do. And then we have the example of Jesus himself in his ministry. There were many times in Jesus' ministry where mothers were bringing their children, their little ones, their infants uh, to Jesus for him to touch them and pray for them. I think that there was more of that than what was simply recorded in the scripture. I think what was recorded in the scripture was in fact representative of 
the desire of people to get close to Jesus because they knew that, that there was grace coming from Jesus. They knew that there was blessing coming from Jesus. And the disciples rebuked the people who were trying to get close to Jesus. But when he saw that they rebuked the people, he said, Suffer not the little children, but let them come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And then he placed his hands on them and he blessed them. So here's the point. All parents dedicate their children to something. All parents dedicate their children to something. The question is, will you dedicate your children to the Lord? You'll either dedicate them to some ideal of a vocation that you're wanting them to accomplish in their lives, or you will dedicate them to some extracurricular activities that you think they really need that are formative, or you will dedicate them to any number of things in life. And if you're not careful, you can dedicate them to things that are good, but are not best. They're not sinful inherently, but they're not ultimately what God wants for them. So you've got to be careful that the main principle that's driving all this other stuff, uh, how their uh, gifts are used and, and how their opportunities are implemented and, and the things that they pursue in life, they have to be focused with one thing, and that is that they're dedicated to the Lord. That's what our goal would be. And then second, in prayer, ask God to save your children. Ask God to save your children. Now, admittedly, this story from 1 Samuel is an old covenant story. Uh, we've not gotten to the new covenant yet. So the element of faith and the clarity of dedication and trust to God is different in a sense, but at the same time, it's the same. So there's not a specific prayer of dedication here in terms of salvation uh, in the Messiah, but that's where this is headed because that's what the promise ultimately was. And I want to pick up reading in verse 15. He said, and Hannah replied, no, my Lord, I'm a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. And Eli responded, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant the request that you've made of him. May your servant find favor with you, she replied. And then Hannah went on her way. She ate and no longer looked despondent. So she continued to pray. This phrase is interesting because literally it means as she multiplied to pray. So the idea here is uh, a prayer upon prayer. It's a multiplication of prayer. It's an intensity in prayer. It's a continuation in prayer. And that's what's going on with her. And she spoke in her heart, but only her lips were moving. Her voice was not heard. By the way, effective prayer can be silent and it can be from the heart. And sometimes when we don't even know exactly the words to say, the scripture is clear that not only is Jesus Christ interceding for us and advocating on our behalf, but the Holy Spirit is helping us when we're praying uh, and making our prayers effective before the throne of God. Now, I find this response of Eli very interesting. He thought that she was drunk. And can I just say, that does not speak very well of him. Can you imagine what must have been going on around the temple and, and, or in the place of worship 
what would have been going on for that to be his immediate response. But after all, he does have Hophni and Phineas, so maybe that shouldn't surprise us after all. The Bible commentator Clark said the fact that Eli supposed her to be drunken and the other uh, of the conduct of Eli's sons has already been mentioned proves that religion at this time was at a very low ebb in Shiloh. For it seems drunken women did come to the place, and not only that, but lewd women were also found there. Hannah says, no, I'm a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have poured out my heart, my soul before the Lord. And Eli tells her to go in peace, and the God of Israel would grant her petition that she had asked of him. We need to be praying with prayers upon prayers for the salvation of our children. If we're going to dedicate them to the Lord, then what we want to see follow from that dedication to the Lord, first and foremost, above anything else, most important of all, is that our prayers would come to faith and fruition in God, that they would believe for themselves. Jason Holopoulos wrote a piece entitled, How to Pray for Your Child's Salvation. And he said that he has prayed almost every night since his children were babies the same prayer. And here it is. Father, that they may know you, love you, serve you, seek you, honor you, and delight in you all the days of their lives. It's a simple prayer for faith and also for a life of faithfulness. And our children coming to saving faith is the greatest desire than any of us could have for them. Now, we cannot force faith. People have to believe for themselves. They have to see their need. They have to see who God is. They have to want to follow him and believe in him and trust in him. But it's clear that we can pray for it and we can encourage it. We can encourage it because we're ordering our homes in such a way that the gospel is clear that we're not hypocritical in the way that we're living it, that we're authentic even when we're wrong and we're repenting and we're trying to grow and we're trying to learn, all those things, they see a sincerity in us and hopefully by our witness, we'll want what we have. And through our prayers that the Holy Spirit will do in them what only he can do. Helopolis suggests some ways to pray for their salvation in addition to this prayer that he has prayed for his kids. And let me give those to you. He said, you need to pray for ears to hear. Our children need to hear the truth of the Bible. And there are more voices speaking into the lives of our children today than ever before. And the reason that there are more voices speaking in the lives of our children than ever before is because of this media and information age that we live in. And I'm going to tell you the vast majority, by long shot, of the voices that are speaking into the lives of our children are not voices that are consistent with the voice of God. They're voices that are telling them contrary things and trying to infuse in them contrary values and leading them in different directions. And we think that just a little bit of Bible here and there, or maybe a prayer here and there, or an occasional participation in some type of religious exercise here and there, if we think that's going to compete 
with the volume of what they're getting all day long, then we've got another thing coming. And we want them to hear the words of the good shepherd, the voice of the good shepherd above all the rest. So let's pray for our kids that they would have a spirit of humility, that they would have understanding to receive the truth of the gospel, that when they hear it, they would not just hear it, but they would understand it and they would take it to heart. We need to pray also for eyes to see, eyes to see. Plead with God for their sight to be lifted higher than worldly desires and earthly gratification. Pray that God would help them see not only this world, but also the world to come. Pray that God would help them to see that they were created for something bigger than just the immediate, that they were created for eternal things. Pray that God would give them the eyes to see ultimate things beyond what would just satisfy some type of emotion or feeling in the moment. Pray for eyes to see and then pray for minds to understand. Pray that their minds would be interested in spiritual things. And we want them to engage with and wrestle with spiritual truths. We want them to be able to ask questions and to see that this faith is not a blind leap into the dark. It is a well-founded faith. And we want the Lord to sow the gospel deep into their hearts, that they would have ears to hear, eyes to see, minds to understand, and then finally pray that they would have a heart to receive. The Lord is the one who takes the heart of stone and gives them a heart of flesh, according to Ezekiel 36. The Bible indicates that God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4. And if that is the case, then we should have confidence as we pray that God desires to save our children as well. Now, let me tell you something that is a particular challenge for those of us who are the faithful in the church, who are constantly talking about spiritual things, who are in church, who have ready access to worship and ready access to Bible studies and ready access to children's and and, uh, teen programming and, and so on. The great challenge for that is familiarity. And one of the things that we were concerned about early on, even with our children, is even a higher level of familiarity coming from a ministry background being in it constantly, that they would hear, but they would not truly take it to heart for themselves. And this is not something that is a problem reserved only for ministry families. It is a problem reserved for those who are faithful in the church. And I've seen it time and time again, where younger children would affirm the faith of their parents They would make some type of outward decision and subsequently be baptized. And then it seems like things are going along pretty well, but then they get into the teenage years and they get a job and they start backing away from church just a little bit. And they start engaging with things that are questioning their faith and contrary. And and then you see kids begin to back away and then all of a sudden they have no interest at all. One of two things has happened when that's the case. Likely, they've never come to faith in Christ for themselves. They affirmed something that their family or their church was affirming. That's the likely case, and that's the prayer 
probably that we need to be praying for them. And in some cases, uh, children, young people, young adults, they drift away and the salvation experience was genuine, but only time will tell which one of those things is true. So what we're praying for is not just a, a decision when they're young and the outward sign and the baptism and the things that go along with that, but we want them to understand who Jesus Christ is in their life. We want them to embrace the gospel, to embrace Christ. We want them to understand how to live the Christian life so that they'd not just receive it in their head, but they would follow Jesus in their heart and with their lives. And this is very important. So I want to encourage you from the very beginning, whether it's a child or a grandchild, not only dedicate those children to the Lord, but you pray that God would like radically save them, like it would be for real, it'd be genuine, it, w- it would hold, and that the fruit of that would be that God would, would show that in their lives. But then if you have a child or a grandchild who either never believed, never took the step, never embraced the gospel, or they did and then they drifted away, I say to you, don't give up. It's never too late in this life for God to do a work in their lives. Don't give up on them. God knows where they are. You can pray for them. You can be a testimony and a witness in their lives. You can be the grace of God and the hands and the feet of Jesus to them. Don't get discouraged. Don't push them further away. Bring them as close in as you possibly can because every influence that you have in their lives is an important one. And hopefully it will bear the fruit of salvation if they are not saved or if they are and they've drifted far from the Lord, that the Lord would bring bring them back close to himself. And then seek the purpose of your children in prayer. And I want to read verse 19 and verse 20, a little bit further here, uh, beginning in verse 19. The next morning, Elkanah and Hannah got up early to worship before the Lord. And afterward, they returned home to Ramah. Then Elkanah was intimate with his wife, Hannah. And watch what happened. The Lord remembered her. After some time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel because she said, I requested him from the Lord. They arose early in the morning. They worshiped. Hannah worshiped the Lord in faith. The promise was not yet fulfilled. But I can tell you what we see here that is a glorious pattern of faith that in our distress or in our hopes, in our dreams, in our desires for our children, we go to the Lord and we just ask him and we appeal to the Lord of armies because he's the one who has the ability to bring it about. And in our prayers, the Lord will remember us. I love the way this Uh, really plays out because remembered is a way of explaining uh, God's actions in human terms that we can understand. It's not as though uh, the Lord forgets anything, uh, but to say that the Lord remembered is to say that the Lord shows favor upon, that the Lord is answering, that the Lord is responding to. And it came to pass in the process of time. Now, this also is important because it did not happen right away. It was an instant. How many of our prayers that we pray, 
are not instant. And sometimes we lose heart and we stop praying or we get kind of complacent about our prayers. And we can't do that. And that's why I say to you, if you've got one of those children who, who has wandered or who has never believed, don't give up because sometimes your prayers are going to be answered in the process of time. It's not going to be immediate. And Hannah didn't lose faith in the promise even when it took some time. She kept the child until he was weaned. Uh, that was usually uh, two years old, sometimes three. And Elkanah said, do everything in obedience to God that we might see his word established among us. Look at verse 24. It says, when she had weaned him, she took her son, took him with her to a shallow rather as as well as a three-year-old bull, half a bushel of flour, and a clay jar of wine. And though the boy was still young, she took him to the Lord's house at Shiloh. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. Please, my Lord, she said, as surely as you live, my Lord, I'm the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this boy, and since the Lord gave me what I asked for him, I now give the boy to the Lord. For as long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. And then he worshiped the Lord there. So in these familiar words, uh, one translation says, um, I have lent him to the Lord. And um, I think in her words of giving him or lending him to the Lord, she's recognizing that this was God who answered her prayer. And you know what would be better than anything else for, for any of us in our lives and any of us in our homes is to have children that we have dedicated to the Lord at the outset and then we've prayed for their salvation and God answered that prayer and he saved them. And then they continued on in whatever their purpose is in life, whatever that looks like according to their gifts and their opportunities. And it's a continuation of answered prayers. And those of you who have children who have walked in the truth and they're a little bit further along in their lives or maybe they've come back to what they knew when they were younger and now they're, they're walking with the Lord as they should, you know that th there's no other joy as a parent. There's no other joy as a grandparent than to see that happen with our children. But you also know, because some of us have children or, or grandchildren perhaps, who that's not the case. And you know that there's not much of a bigger burden in all of life than for that to be the situation with one of your children or your grandchildren. Just know God has not forgotten and continue to pray, just continue to believe. And uh, she took Samuel up with her uh, with a sacrifice and um, she made that commitment and it says that they worshiped the Lord there. And I say to you, bring every concern and every hope and every desire you have about your children to God in persistent prayer. Somebody said we ought to be praying offensive prayers uh, and praying that our children will move in the right direction toward their purpose. And then we ought to be praying defensive prayers to keep them from questionable people and questionable character decisions and questionable detours in their life that would take them off of the purpose that God has for them. And I, I want to tell you this, there are no perfect parents. I open with this in this whole series, and there are no perfect children. And just like everybody in this room, 
has had some challenging spiritual times, if you've been alive very long at all, your children either have had or will have some challenging spiritual times. And they need your prayers more than anything else. And you need to pray for God's purpose uh, for your children according to what your values are. And God will answer those prayers and, and, and he will hear your prayers. Um, I read a little illustration I think is really good about the uh, difficulty of sin and the struggle that we all go through. And I, I want to share this with you in part. And then there's a story that follows from a particular research that was done about, uh, about children. A developing apple that harbors a tiny worm at the core will eventually produce a fruit that is totally corrupted, regardless of how impressive it may appear on the exterior. And the most innocent, beautiful-looking baby is a tainted creature, having inherited the sin nature of Adam. And if that sin nature is not restrained and eventually regenerated, the child will be capable of horrendous behavior. Now, you know that already if you've raised children. Uh, you know what they're capable of. But I remember one time years ago, probably 25 years ago now, I was young and I, I was relatively brash about the way I would say things and maybe not quite as pastoral and as empathetic. And I got up one Sunday morning and, man, I was just I was laying it down. I was telling them how wicked children can be and, you know, how, how we're all born with a sin nature. And I had this woman, she started from the back of the church after the sermon was over with it. She marched herself up there, and I knew it was going to be a good one. And when she got to the front... She pointed her finger at me and she told me she did not agree with that, that her children and grandchildren were good and that they didn't have a sin nature. And she said, I will never be back to this church again. And she didn't come back. Never saw her again. It was the last encounter I ever had with a woman. But I'm still right. I'm still right. It's true. We all have this sin nature. And that's why we need to be praying for salvation. And that's why we need to be praying for our purpose because anybody's life can get a tiny worm at the core that will produce rotten fruit in our lives. There's another part of this. Several years ago, the Minnesota Crime Commission released a report that sounds kind of harsh today, but here it is. Uh, every baby is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants uh, when he wants it. He wants his bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toy, his uncle's watch, deny these, and he seethes with rage and aggressiveness, which could be murderous if he were not so helpless. This means that all children, not just certain children, are born delinquent. And if permitted to continue in the self-centered world of infancy, given free reign to, to his impulsive actions, every child has the capacity to grow up to be a criminal. We have the privilege to try to see that, that doesn't happen. We want to pray by God's grace to do what we can to help steer them as they make those free will choices to make good ones. And everybody's got the capacity to do that by the grace of God. So in summary, pray for their faith because they need faith more than anything else. If they have faith... They can get through anything in life. They can navigate any challenge, any difficulty, any heartache. And that faith will be their, their compass. And they might not know the answer. They might not know what to do. But they're going to come back to that compass. 
And they're going to pray, and they're going to act according to that faith. Pray for their character, that God would shape them, not just when they're little, but that God would shape them, that they would be able to live in a way that would honor God and be of good character. Pray for their relationships. The people around them are as important as anything a lot of times in their decision-making. And if they're in poor relationships, they're probably going to end up with poor behavior. We end up being the company we keep in many regards. Pray for their purity. It's difficult out there. We're in a wash in an impure world. We need to pray for their purity. And then finally, pray for their future. Pray for their future. What might God do with our children and grandchildren? You see, we've got to accept the ongoing responsibility of parenthood. I was reading one piece that was talking about how a lot of parents quit too early. And uh, this particular article was talking about this said that if you go to t-ball games or soccer games of seven-year-olds, all the parents are there. But if you go back when the kids are 15, 16, 17, not as many parents are. We're really intensely involved in our children's lives in early years. But when they get to be teenagers, we start to phase that out. Be careful about phasing it too fast. The work is not done. In fact, as I've said, it may be more difficult than it was when they were three. And they may need you more than they ever needed you. It's just in a different way. And it's a challenge to be a parent. It's easier to ignore what your teenager might be doing. And you don't want to have that unpleasant conversation. But if you don't have that unpleasant conversation, who's going to have it with them? Nobody. The world's just going to encourage them to continue on. Do whatever you want to do. Follow your heart. Do what's easy. And a lot of parents disengage especially spiritually. You hear questions when horrific things happen, like how in the world could those parents not know that their kids were building pipe bombs in the garage? It sounds absurd, but you know why they didn't know? They disengaged. They were hands-off, worried about their own lives, caught up in busyness and just trying to get along and get by themselves. And a lot of parents release their children so early that they lose touch with them. And as a child grows, the role as a parent changes, but you've got to stay involved. And a lot of times those little ones, as they turn into teenagers, are really thinking, how much are you going to let me get by with before you care enough about me to draw a line? Care enough to draw lines. And they will tell you that they don't want rules or they don't want you to be around or they don't want guidelines. They're not telling the truth. They want you to be there. Don't miss the opportunity. And just being present at activities is not the same as being engaged spiritually and in prayer. There's a lot of good sports parents, for example, that are not good parents. There's a lot of good parents that are 
active in the things their kids are doing. And I'm not picking on sports at all. I love sports. And I think it's one of the best things to, to, to form us and to shape us and to teach us about life. I'm not, I'm not being negative at all about that. But I'm saying that's not a substitute for spiritual formation and for prayer. It's not one or the other. It's a package deal. And I think prayer is central to remaining engaged. It's hard to pray if you don't know your kids. It's hard to pray if you don't know the challenges your kids are dealing with. It's hard to pray if you don't know what, your, what the dreams are of your children and, and what they want to do with their lives. And as they go through those, those stages into adulthood, you're wanting to pray them through to a point of faithfulness. And you want to see God's purpose fulfilled in their lives for his glory. And that's our hope. And that's what we need help with. And God can do more than we could ever imagine. Let's bow our heads together now as we, in fact, pray once again for our kids and our grandkids. Lord, it is a, an important responsibility you've given us to pray. I, I look out at the group that is here uh, in this session, and I see uh, some who are just getting started. They've got the little babies at home and all the excitement and everything that's in front of them. And, and Lord, I know the, the big responsibility that they have on their hands. And I pray that you would give uh, wisdom and direction that these parents would truly desire to to have prayer in the center of it to uh, be formative in in their homes and in the lives of their little ones and also see parents that are further along uh, some who uh, have children in those later teenage years or maybe into the college years getting ready to to launch into life on their own and lord we know the the special burdens and challenges that that brings i pray these parents would not grow weary uh, that they had not uh, lend themselves to the temptation of, of disengaging more than they should, but that they would engage more than ever, knowing just how important it is to, to have those conversations and to really know what's going on with their kids so that they can pray for them and with them. Lord, help us not only to pray for our kids, but also uh, to pray with our kids. And I pray for the, the grandparents that are here or maybe the parents that have adult kids, all of whom are maybe not walking with you. And I know their hearts can be discouraged and they can feel a heavy burden because of that. I pray they'd not give up either. I pray they'd know ultimately, Lord, that you're in control and you can do a work in their kids and their grandkids' lives even when it seems hopeless, even when it seems like there's no solution. And so we would pray for that also, and we pray you would encourage uh, those folks. And God, thank you for this example of Hannah uh, dedicating Samuel. And I pray, Lord, that as we dedicate our children to you, that they would come to faith in Christ and that they would find their purpose in life and that we would help them to be shaped and molded in the purpose you've called them to, not, not what our purpose is, not what we want from them or, or what would make us look good or what would make us feel better. But, Lord, what you want for them, that that would ultimately be our prayer, that, God, we submit them to you. And however you want to use them, we trust you. 
And we pray to that end. We thank you for it in advance. And we're grateful for your grace in our homes. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.